Hey, Pastor Stephen here. Welcome to the Abundant Springs podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to check us out online at AbundantSprings.Church. And now, on to this week's message. Uh, today, as, as I get started, I want to share with you a, a study that I recently saw that, that was made. You'll see on the screen behind me, uh, or online, you'll see coming up over top of me here, a picture of a shark, or a dorsal fin, an elephant, and a mosquito. And, and this study was done where they would show people a picture of each of these while they were wired up to heart rate monitors and blood pressure sensors and all of that to see what the human reaction to each of these animals would be. And, and there were other animals that they showed too, but uh, for our purposes, we're going to look at just these three. Uh, and what they found was out of the three, the only time that people's heart rate spiked was when they saw the infamous dorsal fin. They saw that and they were like, oh no, things are scary, things are dangerous, you know, there, there was just something in them, maybe it's because they saw Jaws one too many times or something, I don't know, but, but they're just afraid of that dorsal fin. You gotta watch out for a shark, right? But the interesting thing is, is that while our, our natural inclination is to think to ourselves, wow, there is risk involved when I see that dorsal fin, I need to stay away from that, I, I want to share with you today, did you know that the elephant kills over 200 people a year? In fact, did you know that the mosquito actually is responsible for 2 million deaths around the world every single year? But when's the last time that you did any more than like, oh, I hate mosquitoes, right? We're not like deathly afraid of these things, but they're killing so many people. Did you know that the shark worldwide every year only injures 60 people? And out of those 60 people, only six die. See, we, we, we get in our heads this thing like, this is too big, right? I'm afraid of this situation. I can't handle this thing. And so we run away from it. But what we don't recognize is that there's risk everywhere. And I'm sorry to anyone that's like, you know, just, just leaving the house or something and you're an agoraphobe because you're thinking to yourself, it's not safe to leave the house. It's not, but it's also not safe to be in your house. It could burn down on your head. It could collapse under you. You know, there's many things that could happen to cause bad things to happen to you. Risk is everywhere, right? And, and so we, we just, we have to be careful. But at the same time, we don't. I, I think many of us are actually far too risk adverse. And I'm one of those people, actually. I am an exceedingly risk adverse person. Um, and, and I don't mean risk adverse like, you know, normal people, like I'm not going to jump out of an airplane. I think if you jump out of an airplane, well, good on you, but that's dumb. <laughs> All right. Like there's this thing called gravity I learned about in school and I prefer not to try to defy it. You know what I mean? So, so hey, yeah, whatever. If you want to do that, that that's cool. But for me, I, I look at things, I look at the numbers. Um, whenever I take like a, a strengths finder thing or any of those sorts of tests, they're like, hey, your gift is that you can see all the things that could go wrong in the future and make a plan to prevent those things from happening. You know what that equals? That, that equals a lot of anxiety <laughs> is what that equals. Because you're just looking around, you're like, man, if we do that, there's 10 things that could go wrong and only one thing that could go right. <laughs> Should we do this? You know? So it gets hard to actually decide, I'm going to go and do this thing. Because you're always seeing that there's the fear that you could be stepping into. But if there's one thing that the last couple of years have taught me, it's that oftentimes you can only find the, uh, the blessings of walking in God's purpose 
for your life through calculated risks and prayerful leaps of faith. And I know that oftentimes this is the same thing in the business world, right? If you want to uh, go from just status quo in your business and you want to do the next thing, you've got to take some risks. Maybe it's hiring someone when you're like, ah, oh, the finances are a little shaky to hire someone. Or, or maybe it's you got to bring in more inventory to get ready, but that's money out of the bank, you know? There's risks involved to take the next step in things. And if we always are looking for like everything has to line up perfectly before I'll take a risk, then guess what we never do? We never leave home. We never do anything. <laughs> okay? Now, don't, don't get me wrong. I am not saying that we should just go out and be like, you know what? I think God would really like it if we were right now to just take out a massive loan, buy the Sobeys building, you know, renovate it. Let's, let's throw half a million dollars into that building and we'll just have the biggest church in town. I, I'm not saying that these are the types of risks that, that we should take, right? So, some people think that we should. But, you know, that's, that's not what I'm saying. There, there's calculated risks. There's, there's looking to God and saying, is this what you want for me, right? And sometimes we do find ourselves running after things that God never even told us to do. It was just a good idea that we had. We never checked it with him. We never ran it by anyone. We're just like, yeah, cool. You know what? It would be really neat if I sold my house and gave all the money to charity. And God's sitting there like, but you have a family, I didn't tell you to do that. Now, if God tells you to sell your house, give it to charity, you know, that's another conversation, right? What I find so interesting, though, is, is more often than not, when I look at, at Christians, and, and myself included, our default is not to, to be people that really do what we see in Scripture, taking these leaps of faith, but our default is to say, whew, that's dangerous. That's uncomfortable, that's not my preference. And so we dig in our heels, right? Now, I, I want to say right off the bat, this is not a message that is leading up to me saying that we're going to do some crazy thing that you don't want to do and trying to push you into that, all right? So if that helps defuse a little bit of the tension in the room, uh, I hope that that, that does, okay? Because today I'm actually talking more personally than I am talking about us as a uh, congregation, all right? So we're not buying the Sobeys right now or anything like that. Um, we're not, like, doing anything crazy, okay? We're just... We're going to continue the, the path that God has us on right now, but I'm hoping that each one of us will begin to recognize the path that God has in our lives. And, and that instead of cowering in a corner, really, is what I see a lot of us Christians doing, that we would actually begin to boldly say, no, God has this for my life, it's risky, but God is a God of risky business, and we're going to step into this thing, Right? Now, at the same time, as I'm, I'm calling for all of us to hopefully in this message begin to step out of faith, uh, step in faith out of fear. I have my notes backwards. That's a bad thing. Don't, don't take the first one. Okay? Uh, but I'm, I'm hoping that if you're not someone that's following Jesus right now, but you're just kind of, you're interested or someone invited you or whatever it may be, uh, that right now as we talk, that there would be something in you that begins to think to yourself, hey, maybe I need to do the same. Maybe I have been holding myself back too much lately. I've, I've been thinking, hey, where's the, I need to see a miracle. I need to see proof. I need to, to have all my, my check boxes checked off before I'm willing to step out in any kind of faith kind of thing. Or maybe there's something in your life that, that you've been really fearful of taking a risk into, and there's something in you that says, no, this is the right thing to do, but you're afraid of doing it. I hope this helps you 
today as well. And so as we do this, I think any time that we're talking about fear, really anything, but especially fear, I think it's helpful to pray. And so why don't we all, will you join me in bowing your heads? There's nothing spiritual about bowing your heads, but uh, it's just tradition. So let's bow our heads and let's pray just briefly here. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for every person that is uh, here in this room today, every person that's online today, later on, whenever they're watching or listening, Lord Jesus. And I ask that you would touch their hearts today. Lord, uh, whatever it is that, that you've been uh, prodding them into, that you've been trying to say, hey, come, come, come this way. Whatever it is that, that we've been fearful about, Lord Jesus, right now, would you just help us to begin to, to grab a hold of some boldness? Jesus, will you just help us in this place to, to set aside our preconceived notions of risk and reward? Would you help us to set aside um, the, the thing in us that says, no, I don't want to hear about risk. I don't want to talk about uh, overcoming fear because that's, that's a scary place to be. And Lord, will you just help us to, to really be able to approach this topic with an open heart and mind? And so Lord, today, please take these feeble human words that I'm about to speak and make them something worthwhile through the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we've been in a series called Jesus for uh, about a year now. We've been going through the book of John. John was a follower of Jesus, and he wrote an account, an eyewitness account, of Jesus' life, which we find in the Bible. And the reason we've been in this uh, book of the Bible for so long is because we're wanting to look at the person of Jesus. Because if we're going to overcome fear, or if we're going to come to a place where we say, yes, there's just something in me that says I need to share the story of what Jesus has done in my life, we need to be people that are passionate about who Jesus is. We need to know him. We need to be in love with him. We, we need to just be so filled with joy in the Lord that when, when we see someone, we're like, I got to find some way to touch this person's life because it doesn't make sense for me not to. You know, th things are so good for me because of Jesus. How could I keep it to myself? That would be selfish. That's, that's my hope for us all as we begin to learn more and more about Jesus. And so we've been in this interesting passage. It began a number of weeks ago with the, um, the paralytic at the pool of Bethsaida who Jesus healed, which uh, really launched a big attack against Jesus by the religious leaders of the day, particularly a group called the Pharisees. Uh, we, we learned last week the Pharisees are a group of people who uh, had a lot of outward religiosity. Has, does anybody know someone like this? A lot of outward religiosity, uh, but not a whole lot going on on the inside, right? Uh, and, and so for them, it wasn't about love. It was about rules, right? You're like, man, I, I, I do know a few people like this. You know? <laughs> Maybe it's you. I don't know. I know sometimes it's me, right? And, and so that's why we need to capture this place of love. And so we're coming in here uh, after what Terry was talking about last week. We're continuing in this disagreement Jesus is having with these leaders called the Pharisees. And uh, so we're going to go uh, start John chapter 7, verse 31. If you have your Bible, feel free to follow along. It'll also be on the screen. Uh, and, and this is what we read. Many among the crowds at the temple believed in Jesus. After all, they said, would you expect the Messiah to do more miraculous signs than this man has done? When the Pharisees heard that the crowds were whispering such things, they and the leading priests sent temple guards to arrest Jesus. But Jesus told them, I will be with you only a little longer. Then I will return to the one who sent me. You will search for me, but not find me. And you cannot go where I'm going. The Jewish leaders were puzzled by this statement. Where is he planning to go, they asked. Is he thinking of leaving the country and maybe going to the Jews in other lands? Maybe he'll even teach the Greeks. 
What does he mean when he says, you will search for me, but not find me, and you cannot go where I am going? Now, I recognize right from the start, partially because I had to figure out this passage, that this is not an easy passage to decipher, right? It actually seems to fly in the face of something Jesus said before to his disciples. He said, um, you know, whoever seeks me will find me, right? And now all of a sudden he's telling these religious leaders, like, where I'm going, you're going to look for me, you're going to seek me, and you won't find me. Like, sorry, what? Did you, just, you just said that whoever seeks you is, and now you're saying that when these guys seek you, they won't. What's going on? And so I, I think to really understand the, the overall essence of this passage, we need to go back a little bit to that verse 31 and understand the crowds looked at Jesus, and they're like, this is the promised Savior of our nation. This might just be the Messiah. Look at all these miracles that he's doing. And did you notice that immediately following that, we see when the Pharisees heard about the crowd's sentiment, they jumped on board and went, rah, rah, Messiah, right? That's what they did? Two people were actually listening to the Bible verse today. No, they they went out, and they're like, okay, call the cops. We got to break this up. Now, have you ever wondered why it is that they decided that they needed to do this? Like, the miracles are not disputable. They actually got mad at Jesus because he healed a a paralyzed guy who had been sitting around in public for decades, and they're like, how dare you do that? So they know he's doing miracles. That's not even something that's debated in their minds. But now, here we are, and and they're like, okay, we got to call the cops on this guy. we got to break it up. we got to stop it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to jump ahead in the narrative of John, and, and we're going to look at John chapter 11, verse 47 and 48. This is what we see. Then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do, they asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. What a problem. But for them it is. Then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. You're starting to understand some of what's going on in these religious leaders' hearts as they're looking at Jesus. Everyone knew that Jesus did miracles. But the problem was twofold. Firstly, religiosity and pride. You know, I, I, I notice this sometimes in my heart. I'll see another church in town. They'll do something grand. And I'm like, oh, why didn't we do that cool thing? You know, I want to do that. And just like, ah. And it's, it that's, comes down to, that's religiosity and pride, right? I have to repent of that. I got to say, like, sorry, God. I, I'm going to try not doing that anymore. Thank you for forgiving me. <laughs> Because I know that that's not a right attitude, right? We, we got to do these sorts of things. And for these religious leaders, everyone before Jesus came on the scene was like, look at these holy men. Look at how awesome these guys are. They don't just follow the Torah. They have created hundreds of laws around the Torah that they also keep. Isn't that amazing? If we have a question, we need to go to these guys because they're the righteous ones, the religious ones, the great ones. And now Jesus shows up and all their crowds are with him. If someone needs some healing, guess who they're going to? Well, you can imagine in their position, they're like, excuse me, I trained for how many years? You just show up out of the blue from Galilee. And everyone's going to you for religious advice. What's your problem? 
We got to get rid of this guy. But then you have the big one. Paralyzing, terrifying fear. They are afraid. You see, you have to understand... At this time, Judea was actually under Roman occupation. The Roman Empire, they were severe. They were brutal. But somehow, things had worked out so that the Romans figured, you know what, if we let these Jewish people just serve their own God and stay quiet in their little corner, we'll let them be. It's just easier that way. And so for the most part, the Romans had set up the Sadducees and the Pharisees and, and the whole Jewish council uh, underneath you know, their tetrarch, King Herod. They'd set up this kind of system where people had power, they had comfort, and all they were tasked with was just keep the peace. That's all you got to do. Just don't rock the boat. And so they're terrified because not only is this hurting their pride, but they're afraid that all their comfort in life, that their, their nice little setup that they've got, that it's not only going to get wiped away, but that they might end up crucified themselves, that they might be killed by the Roman army. What's ironic is, is that uh, if we skip ahead to AD 70, the Romans wiped out Jerusalem anyways. But if we're back at our story here, this is what's going on. They're, they're afraid. And so they see the miracles and they go, but the risk is too great. Have you ever been there where you see the miracles, you see the signs, you hear the voice and you go, but the risk is too great. I know I have. I think it's fascinating that Jesus isn't someone that didn't know fear either. Have you considered that Jesus knew the entire time he was on earth what was going to happen to him? We've got this scene in the Garden of Gethsemane just before Jesus is arrested where he's so stressed out that he's, his sweat is dripping blood as he's like, God, if there is any other way that your plan can come to fruition, can we find it? Can we, just, can we not do this? But not my will, your will. And what we see here is that Jesus looks at these Pharisees, the people that would be calling for his death, and he tells them in just a little while, I'm going to be going to the one who sent me. He's not dwelling on the fear. He's not trying to avoid it. But in fact, Jesus pushed past his earthly fear of death because he was secure in God's plan for his life. He knew what it was. He knew what was going to happen. And he said, I'm, I'm willing. I'm going to go ahead. See, we have to understand, we, we get this idea in our heads that you know, we, we know that God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and that they're equal and that they are one and they're of, of you know, complete unity on everything. But so, sometimes I think we get this idea in our head because of things like, you know, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We get verses like this and we think, oh yeah, so, you know, there's God. He's like, I really love these humans. Hey, Jesus, boom, go die. But that's not what it is at all. Right? Because that would be a disunification in heaven. Instead, what we actually have is that God loved the world so much that the Son, who also loved the world so much, willingly came to earth for us. Because of his love of the Father and of the Spirit, and because he loves his creation. And so despite all the fear of knowing what was going on, because he, I, he was human, 
right? Fully God and fully man, but he went through the emotions that we do. He overcame fear because of the love of God, his love, right? The love of the spirit indwelling him, the love of the father who he had been sent by. And I love what uh, Captain Jeff Struiker, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he's the guy from Saving Private Ryan. Um, But uh, he says, the torment of fear is neutralized by the love of God. So when you're facing an impossible situation, when you're like, it's too much, I can't do it, I'm going to hide in a corner, the reality is, is that if we can get in ourselves the love of God, the love of God into us and our love for God, if we can get his heart for the world, suddenly there is something in us that can say, I don't need to be afraid of these things anymore. What did, what did Paul say? Paul said when he was close to death, he said to live is Christ to die is gain, or I have it backwards. But either way, he was good with either. He was good with either. Why? Because in the love of God, he knew what needed to happen and what was going to happen, and he knew the worst thing was to be with God in heaven, or the best thing, depending on how you look at it, and that the best thing or the worst thing was to stay alive on earth. And in fact, in Paul's mind, the best thing was to die. Because he says... I would really like to go to heaven, but for your sake, I think I'll stay around a little while longer. And yet he knew what was at stake if he stayed. He he experienced so many beatings. He'd been left for dead so many times. He'd been imprisoned. How many? I mean, what a life. But he overcame fear because of the love of God. So Jesus tells the Jews they can't go with him. They won't be able to find him. And so they're like, oh, maybe he's going to go teach the Greeks. Maybe he's going to leave us alone. Maybe he's going to get out of our hair. And and the irony here is that Jesus isn't actually saying he's going to go to the Greeks, that he's going to go outside the Jewish nation. But there's a foretaste of something to come here. Because while Jesus was going to the Father, God was in fact soon to be found among Jews and non-Jews. The good news of Jesus wasn't something just here, it was going to spread. Praise the Lord, that's why we're here in this room or online today. We get a little confused sometimes. He says, oh, I'm going to do this thing, and we're like, oh, he must mean this, when he doesn't. But praise God that he saved us. I know there's probably people around here that have been thinking to themselves, if Jesus would just do something miraculous for me, if he would just give me that sign I've been waiting for, then I'd believe. I know there's people that are probably here watching today, and you're thinking to yourself, I feel led to give this thing up or to do this thing, but the sacrifice is too much. I need another sign. I need to know. Listen, the religious leaders of Jesus' day saw the signs. Many of them. They met the man. They argued with him. They fought with him. And they wouldn't step in because of their fear. 
They chose to remain in unbelief. And I believe that's why Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot go. And you will not find me even if you search. Why? Because they had rejected his claims and the evidence of who he was in order to protect what they had. See, if they were seeking him, they'd be seeking him for the wrong reason because they didn't actually believe in his claims of who he truly was. And if you don't believe in those claims and the place that Jesus is going is to heaven, it's pretty hard to follow him. Because Jesus says the only way to the Father is through me, me being him. And yet so often we say, if only I could get a word, if only I could get a sign, a miracle, if only that prophetic person would lay hands on me and speak a word of knowledge into me, then I'd have what I need to step into what I think God wants me to do. Then I'd have the confidence to step out in faith. But here's the reality of the way that God usually works. It's this, fully finding out, okay, (laughs) fully finding out who Jesus is follows faith. Fully finding out who Jesus is follows faith. Usually we want a revelation before we take what we know and act on it. But in the kingdom of God, generally, he wants us to act on what we know before the revelation comes. And so when we sit back and we say, not till Jesus shows me, when he's already been prompting you, or when we sit back and we say, not till I have X number of dollars will I go and do that thing. You know, I'm not going to the mission field where he's calling me until I've got a nest egg of a certain size or anything like that. Chances are you're not going to see the sign until you actually take the leap. And it's scary. <laughs> In the comments, or if you're in person here and you're a bold person, why don't you shout it out right now? What are you afraid to give up for Jesus? What are you afraid to give up for Jesus? Me? Comfort. Comfort. Who wants to give up comfort for Jesus? Because who knows what it's going to look like on the other side. Have you read the Bible? There were a lot of uncomfortable people in that book. But if he's calling you to that, don't we need to do that? Isn't that where the best thing in store is for us? And so let me ask you, is he calling you to give up comfort or money or time or a relationship or a lifestyle? What is he calling you to give up? Because whatever it is that he's calling you to give up, when you step out in faith to do that, you are never alone when you do. Because he is with you. So step into obedience. Here's what I want to call you to today is to choose faith over fear. Choose faith over fear. Management consultant and author Peter Drucker wrote, there is the risk you cannot afford to take and there is the risk that you cannot afford not to take. And let me share with you today that in the Christian faith there is more often than not risks that you cannot afford not to take. The first one is stepping into a relationship with Jesus. But there's others. See, we like to think, yeah, I took that step, now I'm done. But now we're agents of the Most High God. In our church, uh, I remember a number of years ago, we spent a a couple of years where we didn't send any money to districts because we looked at our finances and we went, once you pay the bills and you do a little bit of ministry, 
how do you send anything off to your district body? <laughs> like, there's, there's no money left. And, and then somebody brought up, well, you know, if we believe in the principle of the tithe and giving the first fruits to God and how he blesses us and watches over us, shouldn't we model that as an organization as well? And I was like, well, you know what, I'm, I'm heading away to Manitoba for this conference and let me, let me pray about this for a while and we'll think about this and we'll make a decision when I come back. And so I headed off and I remember on the way back from this conference, I was in the airport with Em, uh, my, my beautiful bride here, and, and I, was, uh, I was praying. I was like, God, what do you... What, what do you want? And so I had my journal out and I was, I was just like, give me, give me something. Like, what's the right direction here? And, and I remember that he, he put into my head this, this verse that I, I, I didn't even know. It was like, give thanks to the Lord for he is good or, or something like that. I was like, okay, where, where even is that found? And what does this, how does this apply to my situation? And so I looked it up and, and it was actually from the book of Proverbs. And, and in there, it was like, blessed is the man who takes refuge in the Lord because the one who takes refuge in the Lord will suffer, uh, no, will have no, no lack or whatever. And then there was this one verse that really struck me. It said, the young lion suffers hunger and want, but the man who seeks the Lord lacks no good thing. And so as a church, uh, the, the, the council, we got together, we were doing our budget, and we're like, all right, <laughs> let's do this. Let's take 10% of our general fund and let's send it away to our district office and believe in faith. And so we sent away to our district office, and uh, end of the year came, and we were $14,000 in the hole. And we're like, okay, that didn't work out well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do we do now? But we just felt like we weren't supposed to stop giving. And so we went another year. We adjusted our budget a little bit. We were like, well, you know, we've got some things that we're maybe wasting a bit of money on. Let's shrink those accounts. Let's bring things in check here. But we're going to continue to give 10% to district, and we're going to continue to press into what we feel like God wants us doing in our community. And so we did that. And that year we had a $15,000 surplus. And then we're like, okay, let's do some stuff. Let, let's, let's put a little bit of money into, let's put our money where our mouth is, right? And, and we say that we want to reach our community, so let's go and let's put some money into outreach, like more than we have been in a while. Let's stretch things a little bit. And so we did. And we came out of it, and we had a surplus, Okay, so this year we're like, all right, like you're starting to get a little excited by this point. You're like, oh, all right, all right. So, like, let's do let's do more money in outreach, more money than we've ever spent in, on outreach before. Let's just like we're going to be wise. Let's look at where we've been, and based on that, we're going to build a budget. And what was so cool is, you know, as a pastor, quite often. Your, your board's job is to keep your exuberance in check. <laughs> and, and this time, I'm like, okay, so this is, this is a good budget for us to do. And then a couple of, of people on our pastor's council, they, they were kind of like, well, but is that enough? I was like, whatever you like. 
And so we decided, hey, let's, we're going to start giving a little bit of money to a new missionary in Israel. And so we supported the, uh, the church plant that King of Kings Church uh, is doing out in, uh, in a city in, in Israel. And uh, that, I mean, the, the PAUC was able to fundraise far more than their initial projections to be able to get that off the ground, which is awesome. And then we started, we're like, okay, and we're going to put all this money into outreach. We, set, we start to set the budget, and then I get a call from district office letting me know that there is a church that wants to send us $1,000 for outreach because they were asking district, hey, we want to support some small rural churches in outreach. What are some ones that won't squander the money? And, and district said they immediately put our name forward. And so they gave us money. I'm like, I'll take free money. <laughs> So they, they do that, and, and then we're going a little bit further on, and I get an email from district office a few months later, and they're like, so there's another church in Edmonton, and they are uh, divvying up some money, and they want to send you $750 for outreach. Is that all right? No. <laughs> so that comes in. Well, then Joanne, she's been doing our books, and uh, you know, COVID messed up our timelines for things, so we weren't always getting like everything done in a timely fashion. But she kind of does the books, and she's like, Hey, so did you know about this $9,000 for outreach that came in? I'm like, Sorry, like, so like what we budgeted plus the 1000 the 750 that doesn't equal 9000 She's like, No, 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 I'm not counting that. What? <laughs> because you see, I'm not saying this is always, all right? Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that if you're just like, here's some money, everybody. Okay, God, that it's going to work out that way, all right? That's not the way that it works out. What I'm saying is, is that when God gives you a vision, and when you begin to catch the vision, you pray into the vision, and you take steps forward, and you're willing to take some risks, Good things can happen. God blesses that. God blesses that. Okay, and, and my viewpoint is, yes, is, is our church numerically going to grow as we reach people with the gospel? I believe it will. Is it going to explode overnight and we're just going to see like, hey, yeah, we reached 800 people or touched 800 people with the love of Jesus and 800 people are now in our church? No, in fact, many of those people might end up at a different church. Or they might end up in a different community. But do we care? Why would we care? Friends, will you choose faith over fear in your life today? What is it that he's been calling you to? What, what is it that when you think about it or you're reading your Bible or you're praying or you're just going down the street, what is that thing where it's almost like there's this for some people, it's butterflies. For other people, sometimes me, it's like a two-by-four hit you to the back of the head because sometimes that's what I need, all right? But what is that thing where you're just like, oh, I think God wants me to do this, that you've been going, but I don't really want to? Will you choose faith over fear today? As I said before, maybe that step that you need to take is saying yes to Jesus. And if that's, if that's you, if you've felt this, this stirring in your heart today, I want to let you know that's the Holy Spirit of God speaking to you, trying to get your attention and saying, hey, my son came to earth for you because I love you. And today I'd like to offer you the opportunity to choose faith 
over fear. I get it. There's a lot of fear involved sometimes in joining a group of rambunctious Jesus people. And there's going to be challenges. We all face challenges, but we have a community here. And we have a God who loves us. And we have people that want to gather around you as we gather around one another and build one another up. And so today, as everybody bows their heads and closes their eyes, I'd like to just right now, if you would say today that it's time for you to follow Jesus, would you just raise your hand if you're here today? Just make that statement today. If you're online, put yes in the comments right now. And as you do that, I'm going to lead you through a prayer. Thank you. I see your hand. As you do that today, will you just pray this prayer after me? Because this prayer is something that is, is an affirmation to our hearts of the reality that's already going on in your heart. The work that Jesus is already doing in you, that he's already done on the cross. He loves you and he desires to bring forgiveness and life to you. So pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, all around this room, Heavenly Father, I'm afraid. But today, I recognize that in the midst of my fear, in the midst of everything I've done wrong, in the midst of the things that I still don't think I'm wrong about, that you stepped in because of love, you died for me, you rose for me. And today, I'm accepting your gift of life. Today, I give you my life. And I'm accepting yours. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Transform me with your love. And help me to follow you all my days to choose faith over fear. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. He is so good. If you just prayed that prayer, we want to follow up with you, okay? We, if this is a, a prayer of your heart, something that uh, recognizes a change that's going on in you, we want to be able to connect you with people that can help you take the next step. I'm going to invite Terry up today. We're going to sing uh, another song in just a moment here, and, uh, and then we're going to have a time of communion. During this next song that we're going to do, Steve is going to be available at the back to pray for you. So if you have anything in your life that you need prayer for right now, prayer for healing, prayer for a situation, prayer for a loved one, go see him at the back, receive prayer during this time. Um, the, the communion elements, when Doug finishes passing them out, they'll just be right here. So if it misses you because you're getting prayer, just run up here, grab one, go take your seat. All right. It's, it's no problem whatsoever. We want you to get that prayer. But today, whoever you are, wherever you are, wherever you are, what I want you to do today is this. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you where you need to step out in faith and ask him for boldness to overcome your fear. If you're ready, let's sing together.